Good afternoon, Moneyliners community. This is Chris Nickel, founder and CEO of Moneyliners.com, coming to you with podcast number nine in season one. We've got a lot of exciting stuff to cover today in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, and still in college football with the Heisman Trophy presentation Saturday night in New York City, as well as our college football playoff predictions coming up in three weeks. Let's jump straight into it. We will be on New York all day today as we head over to the Bronx and talk about the mega contract signed by Aaron Judge overnight. Nine years, $360 million, $40 million per year for the Judge and the pinstripes. Guess what, New York fans? You overpaid. That is correct. Aaron Judge will disappoint moving forward. He will never repeat the year that he just had. But it won't matter to him because for nine years, he's going to make close to $400 million just for playing baseball on top of who knows how many other hundreds of millions of dollars in endorsements and commercial deals. Not only will he be set for life, not only will his kids be set for life, but maybe his great-great-great-grandkids. You know, Brian Cashman did not learn from his 2008 mistake with A-Rod. In 2008, Cashman signed A-Rod to a 10-year, $275 million contract only to watch A-Rod self-destruct with a season ban for steroid use. And A-Rod now, of course, is sitting on the set of a baseball sports casting show. Now, that one only cost him $27.5 million a year, but the judge contract, due to baseball contract inflation, is going to cost you $40 million. Judge doesn't have to hit a single home run ever again or ever bat 300-plus. What a smart move for him to hold out at the beginning of this past season, have this fantastic year, and then he played the Giants and the Yankees against each other to perfection and moved his dollar amount from three to 360 and added that coveted ninth year that he wanted on that contract to stay in the pinstripes. That contract was on the heels of Justin Berlander signing a two-year deal with the New York Mets for $86 million. These two different contracts are very distinct. I think that the Mets got one hell of a player and he will bring a World Series championship to the Big Apple where Judge is going to falter moving forward and he will be another contract bust. Now, I know you think it sounds crazy that I'm telling you Aaron Judge just got overpaid and will be a contract bust. I bet if I would have said that before Stanton signed his deal with the Marlins, you would think I was crazy. And the list goes on about landish contracts that fizzled out and didn't pan out for as much money as the team paid. Judge will be another one. Justin Verlander has two more years to pitch. He's moved to New York City, and he's going to try to replicate what Tom Brady did moving from the Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Verlander wants to be the guy in New York, along with Max Scherzer. That's a hell of a one-two punch. Now, I know that DeGrom went to the Texas Rangers in Arlington, but Verlander is not only a great replacement for DeGrom from a pitching standpoint, but he's now also a World Series champion and the two-time reigning Cy Young Award winner. That's an upgrade 
based upon that veteran leadership. And the New York Mets will win the World Series within the next two years with Verlander pitching, and then he will retire one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Let's move on over to the NFL. So many things have changed from the action this past weekend, most notably out in San Francisco with the season-ending Jimmy Garoppolo injury. I said last week that San Francisco was going to win the the, uh, Super Bowl this year because they were the best team in the NFL based upon that defense that they have out there in the Bay. That obviously has changed. You cannot win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. You could have won it with Jimmy Garoppolo. So San Francisco has now gone from being ranked number one in the NFC and our Super Bowl winner predicted all the way out of the top three in the NFC. And no, Baker Mayfield was not going to be a signing for San Francisco. Baker Mayfield now ranks up there with Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell and David Klingler and Akili Smith and Tim Couch as one of the biggest NFL draft busts to ever come out as a number one pick. Baker Mayfield will finish the season as the starting Los Angeles Rams quarterback and then likely that will be the end of the show for him. Because Perkins and Woford are not the answer in Los Angeles. Period. So Baker is actually an upgrade to the two of them as evidenced over the last few weeks as they've tossed back and forth at quarterback for the Rams. But San Francisco losing Jimmy G takes them from the unquestioned top choice in the NFC to out of, I even believe, the top five. Let's talk about the NFC updated rankings. In at number three, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as I said a few weeks ago, with that miraculous comeback, Brady to Cade Otten to win that game three weeks ago, followed by the victory over in Germany over Seattle, Yes, they digressed last week and lost to a pretty good Browns team, even under Brissett. But the victory on Monday night against the Saints was vintage Tom Brady. Now, the further Tom gets away from his divorce and settles in as a single dad with his kids, co-parenting with his ex-wife, the better I think his football play is going to be. The Bucks are a dangerous team. And they're dangerous for two reasons. Number one, they have one of the better defenses in the NFL. Not the best like the Cowboys and the 49ers, but one of the better ones. And they're well coached on defense. And Todd Bowles, the head coach, is a defensive-minded coach. But what makes them more dangerous is obviously Tom Brady, number 12, seven-time Super Bowl champion. But he's throwing to not just Mike Evans and Godwin. He's throwing also to Julio Jones who gets healthier and healthier. And the emerging tight end, young rookie stud in Kate Otten. In addition to that, old Leonard Fournette, his time is dwindling down in Tampa Bay, and White the rookie is emerging as the go-to running back out of the backfield. As Tampa Bay continues to get better and better and gel together and together, I think Tampa Bay becomes a very dangerous team in the playoffs in the awful NFC South at 6-6. Six and six. 
The second place team, the Atlanta Falcons, one of the worst football teams I've ever seen on the field on offense, is sitting second, meaning Tampa Bay is a lock to win that division. They are the three-ranked team in the NFC. Number two, I'll stick with Kirk Cousins, the best receiver in the NFL, and J.J., as well as Dalvin Cook. Their upgrade, T.J. Hawkinson, and a very sound defense in Minnesota. They had a very impressive win this weekend against the New York Jets, 27-22. The Jets should not be taken lightly if they make the playoffs. But the Vikings snuck out that victory and continue to impress me week in, week out, and I put them right at number two. Anytime you score 54 points, 50-plus points in the NFL against any team, even the worst of the worst teams historically in the NFL, typically do not give up 50 points. The Indianapolis Colts defense is not that bad. But the Dallas defense is really that good. Two defensive touchdowns and Michael Gallup galloping down the sidelines for two touchdowns combined with the emergence of Tony Pollard finally out from the shadows of Ezekiel Elliott and a true split back situation makes Dallas extremely dangerous. Dallas now has a balanced offense to go with that great defense that they're playing down in Fort Worth. Dallas is number one. Dallas is ready to compete against the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. Today, right now. I'm not ready to predict the Dallas Cowboys, the Super Bowl champions, only because I do not have a ton of faith in Mike McCarthy. So we'll just hold off on a Super Bowl prediction this week and see what happens in this coming weekend. Let's flip over to the AFC. You know they say, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Who represented the AFC last year in the Super Bowl? That's right. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I'm about an hour from that stadium right now, and I grew up a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Now, because of all the times I've moved around the country, my loyalty in the NFL has shifted more than once. But in my heart and in my roots, it's been the Cincinnati Bengals. I picked the Kansas City Chiefs to cover the spread at minus two against the Bengals this past weekend. I did not feel that the Bengals could consider themselves a top contender without Jamar Chase on the field. I was proven wrong. The Bengals didn't just cover that small spread. They won the game. And Burrow was king over Mahomes yet again. Therefore, I have to shift around the rankings in the AFC accordingly and put the Cincinnati Bengals at number one. That's right. The Cincinnati Bengals playing fantastic defense. They shut down King Henry two weeks ago, which is not easy and rarely done. And then they topped Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey this past weekend in Cincinnati. They are followed by the Chiefs. The Chiefs will be there in the end, perhaps in an AFC Championship matchup against the Bengals, depending on if either one of them can take out the Buffalo Bills. Now, I know that the Buffalo Bills currently are the number one seed in the AFC. I get that. But I think that the Bengals have a better chance of finishing out the rest of the season undefeated than the Bills. And I believe that 
Now without Lamar Jackson, Baltimore is going to falter mightily and the Bengals will win the division. So in the AFC, Bengals number one, the Chiefs number two, and the Bills number three. I can almost certainly guarantee you that the Super Bowl champion will come from one of the six teams I just mentioned. Dallas, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Now, I know there are some people in Philadelphia that may be listening to this podcast that are saying, wait a minute, what about our Eagles? We have the best record. We're getting no respect. I am not a believer in the Philadelphia Eagles just yet. I think you're going to realize down the stretch how important Dallas Goddard was to your team at tight end. And your defense is nowhere near the level of Dallas, Tampa Bay, or the Bills. It's not. So if it comes down to defense matched up against an AFC team like the Bills or in the NFC Championship against Dallas, Jalen Hurts isn't going to move the ball against either one of those teams. He's not going to run for 150 yards and Miles Sanders is nowhere near a top-tier running back. I don't believe yet, Philly. And I think you are primed for an early exit as a major upset in the NFL playoffs. So there's another prediction for you from Moneyliners.com. The Philadelphia Eagles will be upset early in the playoffs by a low-seeded team and take an exit stage left. Let's move over to the college football playoffs and upcoming Heisman Trophy presentation in New York City. Obviously, the Final Four is set. They are the final four teams that I predicted last week, just in slightly a different order. Everyone agreed that Georgia and Michigan were one and two. The question was, is Ohio State back in? Most people thought they were, but would Ohio State leap TCU and go into three with TCU being four? The committee said, no, thank you. They couldn't get past the Michigan blowout in Columbus or possibly the bare, the, the, the small margin of loss for the TCU or Horn Frogs against the Kansas State Wildcats. So either way, the top, the top four is set. Our two matchups, Ohio State against the new SEC King, Georgia Bulldogs. Ohio State comes in as a six and a half point underdog. Now before the line was set, I thought the line would be somewhere around seven and a half and I may have even given Georgia eight based upon the abysmal performance by the Buckeyes in the Big Ten matchup against Michigan. Six and a half to me is a value pick if your heart's not with the Buckeyes. Let me repeat that. If you are not a diehard lifelong Buckeyes fan, the value at six and a half to pick Georgia makes sense to me. If it were seven or seven and a half, then I think the value's in the court of the Buckeyes. However, because I am a lifelong Buckeyes fan, I am going to take those six and a half points and not just say that the Buckeyes will cover. As I predicted last week, the Buckeyes will be your 2022-23 college football champions. There's three reasons for that. Number one, They played their absolute worst game against Michigan in Columbus that they had played all year by far. 
Yet through the first three quarters, they were in it. It was the worst coaching job that I had ever seen under Ryan Day's leadership. And it was both coordinators, Kevin Wilson and Jim Knowles. If we talk about Kevin Wilson for a second, he's the new head coach in Tulsa. My theory now is that Kevin Wilson's feet were already out the door. Because I went back and looked at that matchup and I watched the play calling and replayed where it all went wrong. The issue was twofold. Number one, you were rushing for six yards a carry with the four-string running back and you abandoned the run. That's issue number one. Why in the world do you feel like you need to throw the ball all over the field because you want C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman Trophy? This isn't an individual sport for C.J. This is a team football game. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the W. But yet, you stopped running the football. Any team that's averaging six yards a carry, that's a first down after every second down. On the other side of that, if you wanted to throw it all over the field, why were you not throwing it vertically with the best receiver in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr.? I only remember two completed vertical passes in the game that were successful and and a good solid chunk of yardage, 25, 30 yards. One was the touchdown to Harrison down the right-handed sideline that got the Buckeyes the lead. Instead, you were throwing the ball east and west. Short dump-offs, time after time again, and Michigan was ready, tackling the running backs or tackling the outplays and getting the receivers down within a five-yard catch. If you watch the Big Ten game championship between Purdue and Michigan, O'Donnell, who is nowhere near the quarterback of C.J. Stroud, he's good, but he's not C.J. Stroud, 17 for 19, throwing the ball all over the field against Michigan. Now, granted, he has one hell of a wide receiver in Jones. He reminded me so much of a hybrid between Christian McCaffrey and a Julian Edelman. He played a great game for Purdue. And so did O'Donnell. But that showed me that Michigan can be exposed in the passing game. So, Ohio State's offensive play calling did neither thing, run the ball, vertical passing. And C.J. Stroud was missing players. It it, it was just a bad offensive play calling game. And then you already heard me talk about Jim Knowles and the defensive side of things. Cover one? Repeatedly. After getting burned over and over and over again, and then in the press conference, you didn't even know where you were. You didn't know if you were in Columbus or if you were in Afghanistan. Because all you kept talking about was the explosives. That is correct. Michigan planted IEDs all along the football field and you walked right on top of them and got blown up time after time again as Edwards ran wild on you once he got past your line of scrimmage. So I hope that you are prepared better for a very similar team in Georgia. When you look at Georgia, both Bennett and the way the defense plays in Georgia, it is almost a carbon copy of Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. So you better have a very different game plan or else Georgia is going to roll you out of the dome. But I'm going to take the Buckeyes plus six and a half 
Not only do they cover, they win. C.J. Stroud will get redemption for the meltdown in the 2020 championship against Bama where they won by 28 points and sent the Buckeyes packing. They want to upset the new king of the SEC and then he wants redemption against Michigan in the championship. Let's move over to TCU Michigan. Now, I'm not going to predict a TCU upset here. I think TCU has played extremely well all season. It has been one hell of a coaching job by Sonny Dykes, who just got a raise, by the way, rightfully so. But Duggan has been the difference maker for TCU. Without Duggan, TCU loses three or four games, I believe. He is the ultimate competitor in college football. He reminds me of Caleb Williams. Only Duggan stayed healthy in his conference championship game. TCU will keep that game close, if nothing else, for their quarterback. He will not allow Michigan to blow them out. Seven and a half points is a gift for TCU. I predict that that is a four or five point victory for the Michigan Wolverines in a closely contested matchup. TCU is not Purdue, and yet Purdue kept the game fairly close with Michigan through the first half until Michigan pulled away late. Michigan moves on, beating TCU after a formidable performance by Duggan, and the rematch is set between the two Big Ten powerhouses, the Ohio State Buckeyes and Michigan Wolverines. In that game specifically, I think the Buckeyes will come out as a slight favorite, perhaps two and a half would be my prediction. I think that will depend on what happens in the semifinal games. If Michigan beats Georgia, or if Ohio State beats Georgia handily, then Ohio State is a bigger favorite. And if Michigan just squeaks by TCU, of course, Ohio State becomes a bigger favorite. Ohio State gets revenge and wins the national championship. If you go back to 2014, Ohio State left for dead, buying Cardell Jones, goes out and wins the Big Ten Championship 63 to nothing. That's how they got in. When they got into the semifinal matchup against Alabama, they were a two-touchdown favorite. It fluctuated between 13.5 and 14.5. So we'll just call it two touchdowns. They won against Alabama, and then they advanced to the championship game against Oregon, where they were again an underdog. Up against the very fast, speedy, high-flying, Chip Kelly-led Oregon Ducks, the Oregon Ducks were the favorite. Ohio State won that game as well and were crowned national champions. Eight years later, it's going to happen again. It will be an upset against Georgia and then an upset for revenge against Michigan. Three of those quarterbacks leading their teams into the CFP are Heisman finalists. C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett, and my boy Dugan down in Fort Worth wearing his cowboy boots and Stetsons into New York City. Big Red. Those three guys are going to join Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback, in the Big Apple to meet the legendary Heisman Trophy winners, the greatest players of all time in college football history. What an honorable opportunity for those four individual quarterbacks. 
I'm going to rank them in the order I think they will finish. Number four will be Stetson Bennett of Georgia. Simply because of the numbers. They're not as strong as Stroud, Duggan, or Williams. And Bennett is simply one piece of the puzzle of the great Georgia dominance. If you remove Bennett and you put a backup in, I don't think Georgia falls off too much. He's a great leader. He's 24-1 and in the next last two seasons. And he's on the verge of winning his second national championship. He comes in at number four. Number three, C.J. Stroud. Going into the Michigan game, C.J. Stroud was likely in the pole position to win the Heisman. But we know what happened. The wheels fell off, and he threw two costly interceptions in the fourth quarter, sealing the lopsided victory for the Michigan Wolverines. C.J. Stroud is likely going to be the most successful of the four at the next level. He has pinpoint accuracy. He's tall and lanky and can fling it all over the field. But for the purpose of the Heisman finalists, he will come in at number three based on that performance against Michigan. Number two will be Duggan out of TCU. Duggan is the TCU Horned Frogs. If you remove Duggan from TCU or Bennett from Georgia, I'm sorry, Duggan from TCU or Williams from USC, they are nowhere near the teams that they are right now. They are MVPs of their teams hands down, whereas Stroud and Bennett likely could be replaced by the next five-star recruit and not lose too much ground for their team as a whole. Duggan will will his team to victory or as close to victory as he can possibly get without dying on the field, just like we saw against Kansas State. He's also thrown for 30 touchdowns, four interceptions over the course of the season, which are numbers similar to Caleb Williams. He will finish number two in the Heisman Trophy race. And then number one, hands down, as Vegas says it will be at minus 2,500, Caleb Williams is your Heisman Trophy winner. It's possible that you see a fairly lopsided Caleb Williams victory here. I think Caleb Williams uh, will get roughly 70% of the votes and then the rest will be spread out amongst the other three. Because Caleb Williams is the college version of Patrick Mahomes. I watched him the last three games of USC season every minute of the action. And I'm not sure I've been more impressed with a quarterback at the college level during that stretch of play ever. He's that good. And I did not know the extent of his hamstring injury until well after the end of the Utah game. The fact that it was torn, is it just blows my mind that the kid was even on the field. I have torn my hamstring and it feels like someone shot me in the back of the leg. So the beating that he went through against Utah, the fact that his hamstring was torn, to just be able to pivot and stand and move at all was remarkable. He and Dugan are both, he and Duggan are both warriors and they will finish one and two in the Heisman race. Caleb Williams or C.J. Stroud will be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. It depends on the team itself who will take which one their scouting teams, what kind of passing attack, 
if they run their quarterback, that will determine which one of those two are taken as the first quarterback. I don't think either one of them will be a number one pick overall, but they will be the first quarterback taken in next year's NFL draft. That's how the Heisman candidates are going to finish in New York City on Saturday. I will conclude today's podcast by thanking the selection committee in moving the playoffs from four to 12 teams. For years, that's what the fans have wanted. And for years, many people have proposed how you make that work at the end of the season and increase your revenue from playoff games involving the Bulls. And they finally, with all of the brain power in that room, figured out how to do it. So if you were to have moved to 12 teams this year, the two teams that I would have loved to have seen in the playoffs against these four that are in there now are the Utah Utes and the Kansas State Wildcats. Those are the two teams that I would have loved to have seen play Michigan or play Georgia and expand these playoffs. When that happens in a couple of years, it is going to be pandemonium and excitement as close as you can get to the big upsets and March Madness that we currently experience. So thank you for committee to the committee for finally getting that right. We are excited to see what happens in 2024. This is Chris Nichols signing out for today's Wednesday, December 7th podcast. Have some great picks tonight. We've got seven on play on our website, moneyliners.com, and good night.